If you don't know me, my name is Paul. I have the privilege of leading uh, the team that oversees New Life Community Church. And um, if, you got, if you're scripting or putting notes or anything like that, the title for today's preach is Jesus, Jesus Can. Uh, one of my favorite family films of all time is a comedy film called Despicable Me. If you've ever seen that, okay, the main character is a guy called Gru. He's got a very pointy nose and he aspires to be the greatest villain of all time. And in one of the opening scenes of the film, to help us understand his appetite for villainy, Gru comes across a young child who's just dropped his ice cream and is very upset. Now, in what seems to be a bid to make the child's day a bit brighter, he grew, he pulls out a balloon, and he fashions the balloon into an animal for, a ch- for the child. And in that moment, happiness is restored, and the young boy is filled with genuine joy until, pop, the balloon explodes over the boy's face, leaving him in complete shock, and standing next to him is Gru with a glistening sharp pin in hand and a happy face that is gleaming with the success of ruining this child's day. We are continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark, and I wanted to use that story to show something of that Sunday to Monday feeling. That Sundays for us as Christians can bring us to that place of genuine joy with great feelings of elation when we remember that in God all things are possible. And that's not just a positivity thing. It's deeply connected to us being in the presence of God and knowing the power of God whilst being the people of God. However, equally, in just another moment, Monday arrives. And we move from that feeling of elation to disappointment and frustration. It can feel as if someone's come along and popped our balloon animal. And I want to encourage you to bear this picture in mind as we look through our text this morning. Because there's lots of stuff for us to learn from. And we're going to address several questions of the text as we work through it. But primarily, I would like to demonstrate two really key principles One, Sundays are significant days. And secondly, Mondays are also important, but we need Sundays to help face Mondays. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. And we're going to read through from verses 14 through to 29. So that's Mark, chapter 9. In verses 14 to 29. What's not working? The PowerPoint's not working. Okay. Thanks for bursting my balloon animal. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it says, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, that is Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, 
I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active. It's like a double-edged sword. It gets right to the heart of the matter. And I pray it will get right to, the, to our hearts this morning. And that you will take us on that journey from being transformed from one degree of glory to the next this morning. Father, we don't want to remain the same in your presence and through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, on my notes it says slide two, but no. <laughs> okay, right. From Sunday to Monday. Okay, if you want to type that, from Sunday to Monday. From Sunday to Monday is the type of feeling you get when you read this passage of Scripture. And a bit of context will actually help us understand why. A couple of weeks ago now, I had the privilege of preaching on the transfiguration of Jesus. And this is where something of the glory of Jesus is revealed on Mount Hermon. And you've got these three guys, Peter, James, and John, who are the disciples of Jesus, who have been invited to witness it. Now, this extraordinary mountaintop event has just happened before then Jesus enters the scene of the text we have just read, only to discover the rest of his disciples have gathered a load of crowd attention and are arguing with the scribes. So in that transfiguration preach, we looked at this mountaintop experience in parallel with another one that we find in the Bible in the book of Exodus. And both of these mountain moments, they have shared similarities and distinct differences. And what they are there to do is intentionally show the disciples then and to us today the difference that Jesus makes to the story. So on the one hand, 1,400 years before this transfiguration, we have a guy called Moses. 
And he's ascended a mountain to be in the presence of God. And God himself has descended upon Mount Sinai in the form of cloud. And it's here that God speaks, gives instruction to Moses regarding the people of Israel. And the glory of God, it radiates from Moses' face. Now, on the other hand, 1,400 years later, we have Jesus who has also ascended and led his disciples up a mountain where the presence of God descends like a cloud and affirms Jesus before his disciples and does so in the company of Moses and Elijah. And they witness how everything about Jesus, everything about Jesus radiates God's glory. So in exploring these two parallels, there are actually many beautiful ways in which the scripture seeks to show us how Jesus brings something better to the table. But for our benefit, in order to explore the text that we've just read, we're going to major on two things. Firstly, the glory of the moment on the mountain. For Moses, for Jesus, and for the disciples, it was a time where the people of God were gathered in the presence of God. This is the place where God spoke, where he taught, where he revealed himself, where the disciples were invited to see, and it was both incredible and terrifying. Secondly, we're going to major on the disappointment when leaving the mountain. You know, when Moses descended, he discovered the people of Israel had been impatient and fashioned for themselves another God that they could worship, one made with human hands. And so Moses, he comes straight out of this mountaintop experience with God into a whole host of challenges with people and with life. He's gone from a Sunday to a Monday. And something similar happens to Jesus. When he descends the mountain with Peter, James, and John and meets up with the rest of the disciples, he discovers that they've been arguing. And at the center of this argument, there's a young boy. And this young boy has been heavily affected by an evil spirit since his childhood. Now the disciples, they've attempted to cast the spirit out, that the boy may be made well, but they've been unsuccessful. On descending from the mountain and upon hearing all of this, Jesus, he just offers up this cry, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Now, you might not be like crying out, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? But have have you ever gone from a super Sunday into a Monday and just thought, What have I just walked into? Why did Monday have to happen? If I could just wind back time and go back to Sunday, that would be great. I think there is a great truth that Mondays help us to understand. They help us to understand how significant Sundays are. For every Christian, Sundays are our key mountaintop moment. The people of God in the presence of God, the place where God speaks, the place where God instructs, the place where God reveals himself to us. Now, it's not that God doesn't do that on a Monday, but when the church gathers together, Scripture tells us that's here where God commands his blessing. It is here that through his body of believers, the church, God builds us up. It is here that we're reminded of the love of God for us and with thankful hearts we pour ourselves out in worship to him. 
Monday cannot compare to that. And where on Sunday we might catch a glimpse of something of heaven, on Monday we're still reminded that we're on earth. So Jesus descends the mountain into the argument and issues of faith, which doesn't sound particularly exciting. But for many of us, going from that Sunday feeling into a Monday feeling, it's actually it's a very real and it's very true of our current experience. However, with that in mind, I want to share with you the big headline from all of this. You were made for Sundays, but you are called to Mondays. I have a, I've got a particular favorite spot for walking the dog at the moment. I jump in the car, takes me five minutes, I hop out with the dog, enter this huge farmer's field. Right? It's very scenic, it's, it's, it's very quiet, and it's also where no one else ever walks their dog. If you know my dog, my dog's a moron, okay? and so he doesn't interact well with other dogs. So when you enter a place of a field where there's zero chance of anyone else being there, suddenly just shoulders go down. I take my book, I read whilst I walk, and the dog bounds around and does his thing. And every now and then, I'll just stop, I'll get my head up, take a deep breath, exhale, soak in the surroundings. And in those moments, I'm just like, ah, this is what I was made for. This is my Eden moment walking in the good of God's creation, in his presence, you know, chatting with him, reading about stuff that helps me understand more about him, giving thanks to him, asking him. In fact, the only thing that I'm missing in order to make this complete is good company. God made us to be in good company with him, to be in good company with others, and to be good stewards of his creation. That is the Garden of Eden. We were made to be in God's presence with God's people and to steward God's creation. And a Hebrew writer encourages the church not to neglect meeting together. You know, when we gather on Sundays in unity as God's people, it's here that God commands his blessing, Psalm 133. It's here that we capture something through Jesus that brings us all the way back to God's original intention. These mountaintop Sundays, they should give us a glimpse of Eden. People in good company with God, in good company with one another, and faithfully stewarding all that he has given us, walking with him, in conversation with him, in team together. But not only do Sundays invite us to catch a glimpse of what could have been, they, always point us, they also point us forward to catch a glimpse of what it will be, the hope that we have secured in Jesus. I'll just read to you from... Revelation 21. Just a, short, just a short extract. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So it's here that we truly begin to see that we are part of something so much bigger when we come together in worship, in adoration, in thanksgiving, we catch a glimpse that we're joining with the myriads of angels and heavenly creatures who give honor again and again and again to him who's seated on the throne of thrones because he is the king of kings. Oh, what it have been to have been in the Garden of Eden. But oh, how much more do we have to look forward to? How much more do we get to be part of through the saving work of Jesus? Of course, I am giving the headlines to what Sundays do. There is obviously a lot more that happens when we gather together. But in the big picture, they should Sundays beautifully point us back to God's original intention. They always point us forward to our future destination. There's something greater that we have in Jesus. And Sundays also do something else, and it's a critical part of the church gathering together. Sundays, they equip us for Mondays. Sundays are like the story of the widow and her son in the book of 1 Kings 17. So here in one moment, the widow gives out of the very last portion of food for her and her son. It's their last meal. And she gives out of it in faithful obedience to God. Now God in response then pours out this lavish provision for her and her son for many days to come after. She lacks nothing. So when it comes to Sundays, we in a similar way, we come to give out of what we have. Our thanksgiving, our service, our praise, our love, first to God and then to each other. And it's here that God in his grace, he lavishly fuels us and provides us for all that we need for the the next days to come. Why does he do that? Why is he concerned with fueling us, equipping us for the days ahead? Because whilst Sundays are great, we are called to Mondays. One day, for every follower of Jesus, there will be a day when every day is a Sunday. And I don't mean a day that consists of a roast dinner, afternoon sport, and a nap. You know, which is my Sunday, by the way. (laughs) I'm talking about the people of God, in the presence of God, in good company with him and one another, stewarding the creation of God in a way that is so much more than Eden through the work of Jesus. But until that day, we have a mission. We have been called to go out into the world and to be bearers of good news to all people, to represent Jesus, to be his ambassadors, to be light in dark places, and to share through word and deed this incredible gift of hope that he offers, to be lovers of the poor, to be an advocate for those in need, to share this invitation to the mountain that only comes through Jesus. You know, church family, you know, Sundays are important as in the sense that they should be an absolute haven for believers. If you're here this morning and you don't really know anything about Jesus, you should be able to walk into a Sunday and discover something of a glimpse of Eden. But part of the purpose of Sundays is to prepare us for Mondays. The disciples were not to remain in Jerusalem. They were to go out further afield to the ends of the earth with the gospel. And as they went out from their gathering, they encountered, sorry to say, challenge after challenge, persecution, suffering, 
imprisonment, all sorts of family and life challenges awaited them as they headed into Monday. But they also saw tremendous breakthrough and transformation and healing and many, many people responding to the gospel, receiving Jesus Christ as their savior and for the first time being welcomed into the experience of the blessing of Sundays. So as much as we might not like Mondays, my kids certainly don't like Mondays, we're called into it, knowing that as we give ourselves to Sundays, God will graciously fuel and equip us for other days because until the day that Jesus returns, we're not meant to remain here but called to go out there, to be in the world but not of the world. There is a community in Wimborne to reach. There's a community in Fornibridge to reach, a community in Verwood and Downton to reach. There are a lot more people who need to know what Sunday is all about. And I appreciate that's not easy, that genuinely Monday and every day outside of those mountaintop moments with God and his people can actually be really challenging. Even at times, God's, even at times God's people can be challenging. It's, it's not just the world that need us. We need, to, we need to be one anothering each other, supporting each other into a place of maturity that helps us to stand on our own two feet with Jesus. Roots deep, planted like oats of righteousness. That air, when every wind or every wind or storm that represents a challenge in life comes, we might be beaten about by it, but we won't be moved by it. Here in the text that we just read, we're looking at a particular Monday for Jesus. He has just come from that mountain moment where God's affirmed him once again as his beloved son. He's chatted with Moses and Elijah. He has been talking about strategy with him. In fact, we, if we read the Gospels, we understand the Greek used in that conversation between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah is exodus. They chatted about the way Jesus was going to rescue the people. He's had heavenly conversations. He's been affirmed by his heavenly father. He has clarity. The path is straight before him. And then, boom, descends from the mountain straight into challenges. The balloons popped. The elation quickly turns to frustration. And the Monday begins for Jesus. And so using the text, we're just going to have a quick look at the type of Monday issues that Jesus has to navigate. And there's three areas here. We're going to look at the issues of faith, the issues of spirits, and the issues of understanding. So the issues of faith, the faith of disciples, the faith of the scribes, the faith of the crowd, the faith of the father who wants to see his son delivered and healed. We have issues of spirits. Beginning here in this passage, we're seeing something of the nature of how spirits function, how they respond, and the variety that are in operation. And we also have issues of understanding. The disciples actually, they're needing to know and understand that not a one-size-fits-all approach may not solve each issue. You know, in Sunday school, when the Sunday school teacher asks the question and the person raises their hand really cocky and says, the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. So yes, yes, fundamentally the answer is Jesus, but actually as we grow in our maturity, there are nuances and more detail for us to understand the disciples were going to become accustomed to that as well. All of these things that Jesus encounters and navigates, they're helpful for us as a body of believers to learn, to gain wisdom from and understand and help us increase in grace 
and compassion. So we're going to take an opportunity to learn from the text how Jesus navigates this Monday, starting with issues of faith. So the whole context of these chapters, by the way, that we're looking at, that we're current, they're built around seeing Jesus for who he really is. The saving one, greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, the son of God. Faith is connected to seeing. It's like putting on a pair of spiritual glasses and viewing everything in light of the difference that Jesus makes. And Jesus returns from that mountain, finds this whole host of people who are struggling to see something. And his heart cries out, you know, oh, faithless generation. All of these chapters, they come from a heart from Jesus to see those who are faithless be faith-filled. To put on those spiritual glasses and to start to begin to really see him for who he is. Despite the frustration of Jesus, he doesn't walk away. He goes again. He addresses the faith issue, and he does it primarily through the father, through the conversation with the father. The father of the boy who has been severely impacted by the work of an evil spirit or demon. And he says to him, and effectively everyone else who is standing there with him, all things are possible for one who believes. Now in Matthew 17, actually that conversation is unpacked a little bit. And he says, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Which means, you know, if you can see just a smidgen of who Jesus is through your spiritual glasses, you're going to start to see incredible things happen. And throughout this journey for the disciples, Peter You know, he's a great example of someone who has these smidgen moments, you know. A smidgen of faith sees Peter jump off the boat and walk on water. A smidgen of faith helps Peter see Jesus as the Christ. And I don't know how clearly Peter is really seen by the end of his life, which he is martyrs for his faith. But he certainly has many, many more faith-filled moments which result in miraculous things happening. Seeing Jesus for who he is, even if he can only catch a glimpse, is enough to move mountains. And I'm sure Jesus can be frustrated with us sometimes. But to encourage you, he doesn't walk away. He will not leave us nor forsake us. But he does want to lead us. And he does want to teach us what it is to be a faith-filled church. That's why Sundays are important because they are an invitation from Jesus to the mountain, where in those moments you get this bigger revelation of who Jesus is. We see him more, and those, therefore, Sunday starts to begin to fuel Mondays, fuel faith for Mondays. We've got issues of spirits then, okay? So we probably want to part a little bit of caution tape around this subject area as we approach the issue of spirits with care. Let the text help us learn, really, something about the nature of evil spirits or demons in order that we may be wise in our approach to those things that might indicate spiritual forces at work. So the text helps us to understand a few things, okay, about spiritual forces at work. Firstly, the spirit is at work to bring harm to the boy. So whilst the boy is actually presenting symptoms that are, 
you know, possibly associated with a medical condition, we also understand something more to be happening, something that is working outside of the symptoms we might expect. And we also have the dad who's known him, you know, he's his only son who's known him since the beginning who is saying, this is what it is. Secondly, you know, the spirit is of a particular kind. So in Genesis, the language of kinds is used to describe different groupings of plant life, tree life, sea creatures, land creatures, birds of the air. For example, dogs are one kind of animal. And within that, we have variations from wolf through to poodles if you, and, you know, shih tzus if you count them as dogs. Uh, this is the same language, no offense to anyone who carries, you know, small dogs, by the way. You know. This is the same language Jesus is using to describe demons or evil spirits. They are, there are kinds, we discover through here, there are kinds which contain variations. In this case, a spirit that causes the boy to be deaf and mute. And this, of course, implies if this is one kind, there must be, therefore, other kinds that will cause harm in different ways. So we learn from the text that there are different kinds of evil spirits at work. And we also know this, okay, the presence of Jesus triggers a reaction from the Spirit. So once again, I think we, uh, we may have covered this ground before, but I think it's worth reiterating. If you're trying to decide whether something more is happening, there's a spiritual force at work with someone or a particular situation, I would say now the presence of Jesus is enough to trigger a reaction. In one way, you don't need to do anything. There is no need to form you know, a demon detective agency department of church. Okay, the presence of Jesus is enough. Now, of course, you might need discernment when spiritual activity presents itself, but you don't need to go looking for this stuff. If it's happening, it will make itself known. It will be brought to you. And thirdly, the issues of understanding then, okay, Faithlessness and the struggle to see Jesus for who he is, that's certainly a factor when it comes to navigating the situation with the evil spirit. But there is also an understanding at work. The Apostle Paul, he talks about that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the ability to distinguish between spirits, which means having a greater understanding of the, you know, the kind of spirit that's at work. And with that, also understanding something of the remedy to help restore the situation. So it's like Jesus saying to his disciples, level one in spiritual warfare starts with beginning to see me for who I am. Level two in spiritual warfare starts to look a little bit more at the detail. Not everyone can do that, but there will be some whom the Holy Spirit determines that will be able to see and distinguish between different kinds of spirits at work. And here Jesus is saying to his disciples, in this case, hey guys, you can't shoot out my name like an arrow just into the air and hope that it finds its target. That's what I think they've been doing here. And in this case, with the boy, they've been unsuccessful. They're just wielding the name of Jesus and hoping something will happen. No, here actually you need an archer who understands and is skilled and is able to use the right quiver and tip and bow for the job. It's a faith moment and it's a gifting moment. And it's not a casual moment. In this case, the boy in his situation needed careful consideration. Jesus said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So being faith-filled starts with beginning to see Jesus as he is. It's also important for us to know that there are different kinds of evil spirits at work. 
We don't need to seek them out. The presence of Jesus will be enough <laughs> to draw them up to the service. We do, however, need wisdom, careful consideration and gifting at work that we don't wield the name of Jesus lightly but seriously put it to use in times of need. That's quite a Monday, isn't it? What a Monday. And in all of it, we can learn from Jesus. He might be frustrated by it, but he doesn't shy away from it. He looks to engage and to help others grow and to navigate this life until the day that he returns. You were made for Sundays, but you are called to Mondays. The thrill of a Sunday can soon be replaced by the thought of a Monday. It's amazing how quickly that balloon can be burst. You know, we walk out of this room, we go home, we start thinking and pondering, oh, I've got to do this tomorrow. Oh, I don't really want to tackle that tomorrow. But I do genuinely think a lot of that is connected to how we are made for Sundays. You you start thinking about Monday because actually where you are made to be is here. This is where we're at. This is where it's at. This is where the people of God are to be. These mountaintop moments in the presence of God with the people of God. But whilst we were made to Sundays, we must remember we're called to Mondays. The good news must go out despite challenge, despite opposition, despite life and all that it brings. We have a calling to go into the world. But that is also why Sundays are so significant because they are there to equip us for Mondays. They're there to fuel us for the week ahead that we, like Jesus, can head right into the arguments, right into the midst of the floodlight action, knowing that God has lavishly provided all that we need to see us through. And that's not just survival. That's about living for him, teaching others, showing compassion and grace. Maybe sometimes frustration, but it's totally possible to show holy frustration because at your heart, your desire is to see people grow in their faith, Grow in the sight of Jesus and who he is. Grow in their gifting and their wisdom and their conviction that all things are possible for those who believe. You were made for Sundays, but you are people who are called to Mondays. Where's Carl? Should we stand together? We're going to respond. Okay. I'm just going to pray and then, um, you know, I'm just going to lead us through what I feel God has prompted on my heart to, for us in, in, in response. So Heavenly Father, you know, I just want to pray, would you come now and have your way? Uh, Father, I just want to hand this all back to you and say, in these moments, Father, We want to be more than just a community. We want to remember that we're the family of God in the presence of God. And Father, we just want to invite you afresh again and accept that invitation to come with you on the mountain where you reveal more of who you are. There is no other place that we'd rather be but we know there are other places that we we are called to be and so Father as much as we delight in these moments Lord God 
And I pray they will be significant moments for us as a church family. Lord, would you help us right here, right now, and equip us for the days that are ahead. So let me invite a response in three ways. Firstly, I felt, you know, for those who really want to experience Sundays for all they're worth. And what I mean by that is to discover what it is to be in the presence of God with the people of God catching a greater glimpse of Jesus. And all of that, and you can personally do that, all of that starts with a response to an invitation. There is an invitation from Jesus. That is what radically separates Jesus from Moses. Moses goes up on the mountain his own. Jesus invites his people to go with him. There's an invitation from Jesus, especially for you this morning. An invitation for you to trust him and to follow his lead and to help you on that journey to understand the significance of Sunday for all it's worth. I feel God ask that question really. Will you accept that invitation? And you can just respond in your heart. Will you accept that invitation to discover Sunday for us all it's worth? And I, secondly, if you struggle with Mondays, okay, I just, God knows, God knows God knows your Mondays. Even now, you might be thinking of tomorrow. And for whatever reason, that is even now causing anxiety to rise. Maybe it's work challenges. Maybe it's family challenges or any other life challenges. But actually, specifically for you, I would like you to come to the front and be prayed for. And if that is you, and that, you know, even the Holy Spirit's prompting you right now, you know, start making your way to the front now. I'm going to just ask people to gather around you. Okay? And I'm going to ask those people to gather around you to simply pray this, that God would here and now sufficiently equip and prepare you for Mondays. That in this moment on the mountain, you would see enough of Jesus today to help see you through tomorrow. So as we're worshiping, if that's you, you struggle with Mondays, I want you to come from the front and respond in faith. And I'm going to ask people just to gather around you and pray. And lastly, this one's more of a challenge, actually, that I felt God stir me to help move you to a place of response. And that challenge is built upon a question. <laughs> Why are you here? Why are you here? This is for the Christians in the room. What is it that you've come to do? What is it that you've come to be part of on a Sunday? What is your expectation? Why are you here? Are you here because you want to be led by Jesus? That you want to see him for all that he is? That you want that opportunity to be shaped by him, to hear his voice? to be taught by him and to be fueled and to be equipped. Do you come with ears ready to listen and eyes ready to see? Do you come like the widow, ready to give of the portion you have left because he's worthy of your all? And do you do it with confidence, knowing that in giving your all, 
God will lavishly provide with all that you need. And I felt God prompt me to say, as I prepared, these questions, they're not meant for harm, but are meant for your good, that it may redirect your attention to the things that matter most. You were made for Sundays, and you are called to Mondays. Let's respond in worship. Let's thank God for Sundays, and let Him prepare our hearts for Mondays.